Good morning. So as we start today in our new series, I was trying to figure, so where do I start with this? Where do I go in the Bible? We're better to start in the beginning, or at least, you know, six days in anyway. We read about the creation of man, and we read three different times that we are made in the image of God. So what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, the word there for image literally means a statue, a carved image of somebody or something. In Genesis, it's used often four times to talk about how we are created in God's image. One time to talk about how Adam's son, Seth, is created in his image. So in those cases, it talks about the created being in the image of the creator. Everywhere else in Genesis, everywhere else in the rest of the Old Testament, the word is used to describe a literal statue, usually an idol, like the statues or the figures of pagan gods that we read about. Those images in the pagan world were representations of the god that they worshipped. There was, in fact, even some blur between the lines sometimes. Is the, is the idol of the god? Does it represent the god? It, it, it was just simply a physical representation of what they thought they worshipped. All that to say, we were created in God's image. We were created to be a representation of the one true God. Not representatives of God. Not yet, not in Eden. We are now. No, as representations of God. We were designed to be people who God based on himself. We, the reality of who God is lies behind our very existence. We were created to show that. And that's why he also says we're made in his likeness. The word there in the Hebrew is pretty much what it says. We were made like God. In our original state, we were like God. Not the same as God, but we were something like God. And we alone, man, humanity, we alone were created in the image and likeness of God. Only we were created to show forth God as his representation and be anything like him. And while his representation is meant to be partially, partially functional, we were created to rule over God's creation. We were created to be his vice regents, kings over the earth. This representation is also partly about who we are. Not a matter of what we do, but who we are. We are images of God. A lot of commentaries will describe it like a shadow, like a shadow that moves as God moves, that goes where God goes, that mirrors what he does. See, we would do these things because of what we were created to be. The shadow mimics the reality. Our shadow follows us because it's our shadow. It doesn't become our shadow because it decides to follow us, right? So too, we were created as God's shadow, as his representation to be like him and to do what he created us to do. And we did. Us alone, because we alone were created to be in the image of God. We did exactly what he designed us to do before sin. Because you think about it, I mean, everything, okay, everything that we see, everything that we know aside from God is created. Rocks, trees, your doggy, all of it, all created. And we humans are created, but like God, because we're in his image, there's something different about us. We have this personhood. We are individuals created in the, in the image of God. So that means, like everything else created, we are fully reliant on God. Every molecule of our being is under his sovereign power. He is the potter, we are the clay. As Paul says in Romans 9, actually quoting the Old Testament, he says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is modeled, say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? He is the potter, we are the clay. Yet, at the same time, 
We have an individual will like nothing else on Earth. Rocks don't have a will. Trees don't have a will. I'm sorry to tell you, your dog does not have a will. None of those created things are persons. They do exactly what God created them to do. They are exactly what God created them to be. They do not have personhood, but we do. That is why we make choices as individuals that God holds us responsible for. Which is why Paul can say, yes, we are but clay in the hands of God. He can do what he pleases with us. Yet, we can look at what we just looked at a few weeks ago in Galatians 6, where Paul says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. We have the choice, because we, like the God of whom we are representations, are persons. And as we were created, we had free will in a truer sense than we even have as redeemed Christians. We had true will. In creation, we were created sinless, but because we had free will, we had the possibility to make the choice and sin against God. We were created sinless in every aspect. Our spirit, our intellect, our emotions, our bodies. We're all 100% unaffected by sin, uncorrupted by sin. We were exactly what God created us to be. And so today, to start our series, we're going to explore what did that mean for humanity in a pre-fall world? What were we like as created? What was unfallen man like in regards to his spirit, to his mind, to his relationships, to his emotions, in his body? So let's consider each of these aspects and how they image God as we were created. And first, in case you're wondering why these are here, we're going to talk about the spiritual aspects of man. This is one of the cards we're dealt as creatures made in God's image. The spiritual, why? There's a spiritual aspect to man as created in God because God is a spiritual being, right? Jesus tells the woman at the well in John 4, God is spirit. God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God created us to be spiritual beings in his image. He formed in us a spirit at creation. Genesis 2, 7 says, then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the living creature here, it literally says, became a living soul. Now, the soul is used various ways in the Bible. Here it refers to the person, the personhood. The soul is what makes us our individual selves. But we are made also of body and spirit. We are physically formed of the dust of the ground, of what God has already created. And then God breathes into us the breath of life, forming in us our spirit. Zechariah 12 starts off this way, the oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. So our body was formed from the existing earth, but our spirit was formed from the very breath of God. The very breath of God who we were created to be like, and our spirit is the aspect that was created to be most like God. And the spirit is that part of man. When we talk about spirit, we're talking about that part that communes with God, right? It's the part of us that makes the truth of what we know effectual in our lives. Because knowing about God intellectually, but knowing God by experiencing him in our spirit are two different things, right? I mean, Satan knows God. Paul tells us every person in the world really knows about God. But it is the spirit of man that apprehends God and through which we're saved. And the spiritual aspect of humanity as created is the aspect most in God's likeness. 
And I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit this morning. Yes, he is God. Those who believe in him now on this side of the cross have him within us. This is different. This is the spirit of man as created by God. We were made with a perfect spirit. And when I say perfect, I mean exactly what God made it to be. It was completely unaffected by sin. We were made to worship God in spirit and truth, and we did. And our spirit in creation had an undefiled apprehension of God. We were able to know and experience God and relate to him perfectly. Job 32 says, but it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty, that makes him understand. And we're talking about understanding God. So the spirit's what we call the inward man. It's how we relate to God and how God relates to us. In Proverbs 20, Solomon says, the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord searching his innermost parts. See, this is why on this side of the cross, we are judged according to our spirit, right? What we are in spirit determines what we are. On this side of the fall, we're not saved because of anything physical or anything intellectual or anything emotional. We are saved through our spirit. The condition of our spirit determines what we are in God's eyes. And in creation, man was made spiritually alive and spiritually upright. We were made in the image of God. Nobody needed to be saved because there was nothing to be saved from. And since we had this undefiled apprehension of God, we had an undefiled comprehension of his creation. We had an undefiled comprehension of God's creation. We didn't know everything about God. God was incomprehensible even when we didn't have sin in our lives. We can comprehend everything around us perfectly and know God through his creation because there is a mental aspect to man because God is an intellectual being. God is an intellectual being. Romans 11 says, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor. God is a perfect and complete intellectual being. He is perfect in his will. He has perfect knowledge. He knows everything Right? He's omniscient. He knows everything. He is all wise. So since we were created in the image of God, since we were created as representations of this intellectual being, that means our minds were created to be something like God's. And our minds were created sinless and perfect. Our will was perfect. Our knowledge was perfect. That doesn't mean we knew everything. Adam and Eve didn't know everything. But listen, what they knew, they knew rightly. They didn't know everything, but what they knew was true. They only knew truth. Their thoughts lined up perfectly with what was. They were able to process what they saw and experienced and understand it exactly for what it is. They never came to false conclusions. They never misinterpreted anything before sin. They didn't react improperly. They didn't behave in any way other than the way God designed them to behave before sin. They were created literally to think God's thoughts after him before sin. That's why we could as created worship God in spirit and truth. See, what Christ calls us to do when he says to worship God in spirit and truth is nothing more and nothing less than calling us back to how we were created. This is how God created us to worship him. Worshipers should have the right spirit and the right mind towards God. And that's what we had at creation. This is why Paul tells the Colossians, Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So as created, we didn't know everything. We didn't have all knowledge, but we had right knowledge. Because what we knew about God, we knew truly, without any wrong ideas or any misunderstandings. And that means, since we had an uncorrupted spirit and an uncorrupted mind, since we could know only truth about God and could apprehend it and apply it in our lives, that means we could relate to God perfectly. We are 
as created relational beings. Let me stand broke. We are relational beings. God is a relational being. He has always been. That has nothing to do with the creation of man. God has always existed. One God, one perfect God, and three perfect persons. God has always been in perfect relationship within himself. This is why we read in Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And now there are those who will say, well, the Trinity is not in view here. Moses didn't understand the Trinity. I understand Moses did not understand the Trinity. God said this. Trust me, God understood the Trinity at creation. And because God is a relational being, he's a perfectly relational being, he has always been a perfectly relational being, he always will be a perfectly relational being, since we are made in the image of God, we should expect that God would make us relational beings. And we are. We are relational beings. Some of us on this side of the fall are really bad at it. I appreciate your grace. But as created, we were perfect. We were in perfect relationship with God first and foremost and perfect relationship with each other. Adam and Eve were in perfect relationship with God and each other. I mean, think about it. They literally spoke to God and he spoke to them. I mean, this is still the case. All right, but because of sin, this relationship, it doesn't work nearly as well as it did in Eden. And it's not because God has changed, it's because we have changed. And so now we struggle to talk to God. We struggle to hear from God. We struggle with considering God in what we do. We struggle with considering each other in the things we do. We struggle even our, in our best and closest relationships. But it wasn't that way of creation. Our spirits were right with God. Our minds were unaffected by sin. So our behavior towards each other, towards God, our consideration, our desire to consider God above all things, were all perfect. We were created to be in perfect relationship with God and each other. So these three things, the spiritual, the mental, and the relational, they describe God and they describe us. Not a one-to-one -one correlation, right? We don't have any of these things on par with God. But being made in his image, we have all of these things. What we had in creation was like God. We were in his likeness. But we were also created unlike God in some ways. While we were made in his image and his likeness, since we're not God, okay, there's going to be some differences between us and God. There are going to be some attributes of God that a finite creature can mirror as his shadow, right? God is omniscient. We know some things. God is holy. We can be relatively holy. But then there are some attributes of God that are so completely other that we can't mirror them, right? God is eternal. We are not. Nothing we can do about that. We are finite creatures. God is, completely exists of himself. We cannot make ourselves exist. Only God can make us exist. Okay, and here's where for 30 seconds we have to get into some deeper theology here to understand where I'm going with this, okay? God is simple. We are complex. What does that mean? That means that God is not made of parts, but we are. And this is important. Because God is not part holiness, and part omniscience, and part love. What he is, he is completely. God is holy. God is truth. God is love. That is why his name is Yahweh. He is what he is. For us, well, we can have holiness in part. We can know truth in part. We can love in part. Why? Well, because we are part spiritual, and part mental, and part relational. Our mind is not our spirit. Our spirit is not our mind. 
For God, there is no separation. For us, there is. And so this next aspect of how we're created does find an analogy in God, but less so in the first three we've considered, okay? Because we are made as emotional creatures. God is not an emotional being. What does that mean? Well, according to Webster, I did some searching too, Eric, for some definitions. According to Webster, emotions are this. A conscious mental reaction, such as anger or fear, subjectively experienced as strong feeling, usually directed toward a specific object, and typically accompanied by physiological and behavioral changes in the body. This is what emotions are. Well, God is what he is. There is no subjectivity with God. There is no, he's something today and he's something else tomorrow. He does not change in reaction to those around him, even us. And this is what's known as the impassibility of God, theologians will call it. He has no passions, no emotions. He cannot suffer because of anything we do. And this is far too much to unpack, even for an entire sermon. Go look it up, the impassibility of God. It'll be a lot of reading, but it'll be worth it. You know why? Because then you realize, wow, our God is so good. Our God is so perfect. He cannot change regarding his love. He cannot change regarding his compassion. He cannot change regarding his justice because God is these things. He is simple and unchangeable. He does not love. He is love. He does not get angry at sin. He is just wrath against sin. But us, when we get to humanity as created, well, we are able to feel love. We are able to feel compassion. We are able to get angry. Even before the fall, all of this was true. I mean, think about it. Adam and Eve would have been perfectly just to get angry with the serpent had they not agreed with him. See, we feel these things. God is these things. This is why John says in, in 1 John 4, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. What God is, we cannot be. But we can feel things like it. And this is what we call our emotions. See, in this sense, God does not have emotions. And at creation, even though we had emotions, they were uncorrupted emotions. We loved everything God loved. We didn't fear anything because God made everything perfect. There was nothing to fear. We weren't anxious about anything. Where we'd get what we needed, what was going to happen next? No. Our minds, our spirits, our relationship with God, they were all perfect. So our emotional health was perfect. Our emotions were in reaction to what was outside of us, and everything outside of us was perfect until sin. And that affected all these aspects that were created perfect. Sin affects the spiritual, obviously, but it affects the mental, it affects our relationships, it affects our emotions, and finally, it affects our bodies. That's modeled after me, by the way. My own wife laughed. I, what? <laughs> we were created in God's image, but God is in no way a physical being. This aspect of man has no analogy in God. As we saw already, again, John 4, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. But the physical body is such an important part of what we are before God of who we were created to be. So many other religions, so much worldly philosophy. Unfortunately, so many Christians see the physical, see the body as evil, even if a necessary evil. But our bodies were perfect at God's creation. In fact, God made the body first, right? We saw this, Genesis 2-7. And the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. 
and the man became a living creature. And as created, our physical health was perfect. Adam and Eve's body, they didn't get sick. They didn't break down with age. They didn't have to take stupid cholesterol medicine because their cholesterol was high. Mostly because we need animals. It's another story. We didn't worry. So you know what? We never got ulcers. We didn't worry because what we knew, we knew rightly. We had no reason to worry. Plus, we were in perfect relationship with God, who created us in his image, both mind and spirit. We had perfect communion with him. All of that. All of these things were perfect. But think about this. What would our, our mental state had been if God created our bodies to break down? What would our emotional state be if in the garden we had hurtful relationships? How would our relationships be if we couldn't process our feelings? How would our relationships be if we thought wrongly about ourselves or others? Here's the point. If all of these were not created perfect, none of them would be. Let me say that again. If all of these were not created perfect, none of them could be. If any aspect of our being was not perfect, none of these could be perfect. And we're here to talk about mental health today. That's what we have been talking about today. Our mental health as we were created, because as we saw all these aspects affect our mental health. I found this definition on mentalhealth.gov. Mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It affects how we think, feel, and act. It also helps determine how we handle stress, relate to others, and make choices. So we see here the emotional, the mental, the relational, all tied in and affect each other. Or this from WebMD. Don't go on that. You're going to think you have the worst diseases in the world. But anyway, from WebMD, this is how, how it describes emotional health. Emotional health is your ability to cope with both positive and negative emotions, which includes your awareness of them. Emotional wellness is tied to physical help. People who experience great amounts of stress and negative emotions sometimes develop physical health problems. We see here the emotional, the physical, and the mental, all tied in together. And studies have shown beyond a doubt that emotional distress actually physically changes your brain. And these physical changes to your brain can affect your mental abilities, your emotions, which together affect how you react with others. There has been an amazing amount of research done, especially in the last 20 years. The scientific community now understands, now more than ever, the holistic nature of man. The mind affects the emotions in the body. The body affects the emotions in the minds. The emotions affect our bodies and our minds. Our relationships affect our emotions that affect our minds that affect our bodies, and our emotions affect our relationships. It's all tied in together. But modern science has discovered in the last 20 years or so, God designed way back at the beginning. They're only just starting to catch up now. But here's the problem. The problem with the secular scientific world was that they tried to leave the spiritual out of it. Even though many of these same studies show that the spiritual life of a person is so closely tied in with their mental and emotional health, they just leave the spiritual out of it altogether. See, the point is, though we are made of parts, every part is designed to work together. Okay, this is what the Bible says. That's what the Bible tells us we are to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? And then our neighbor as ourselves. We were created to love God with everything, with all of our parts, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to let that play out relationally, how we deal with each other. As created, we did all of that perfect. But as we'll see next week, 
Because of sin, all that's broken. And we cannot restore one part or two parts or four parts to the complete neglect of any one part. We were created with all five parts working together, influencing each other, informing each other, making us what we were as those created in the image of God. And just like the secular world will lack in their understanding of mental, emotional, physical, and relational health until they can get a grasp of the spiritual, so too the church is going to lack in our understanding of the spiritual until we grasp the importance of the whole person. In other words, we cannot ignore mental health in the church if we want to be a spiritually healthy church. And unfortunately, in the church at large, this is just my experience. As much as we say there's not, there is a greater stigma associated with mental and emotional health in the church than there is out in the world. Why? Because we automatically make everything spiritual, right? It's spiritual. I'll pray for you. It's spiritual. We are more than spiritual beings. Not every problem that we have is a spiritual problem. And in our church, where we have been so affected by mental and emotional health, this stigma can't exist, right? It cannot exist in this church. And I know I hear us speak to each other about how we're doing physically and spiritually a lot. We talk to each other when we're hurting physically and ask for prayer. We talk to each other when spiritually we're just not where we should be. I see the prayers on our prayer wall, both here and on, online, and there are plenty of prayers for physical and spiritual healing, and there really, there should be, absolutely. But we need to be a church that embraces how God made us, how we were made by a good and gracious God to be. We should support each other, not just spiritually. We need to support each other intellectually, relationally, emotionally, Physically, because that is how we were made in the image of God. That is how he made us. And realize something, okay? Think about this. We were made in the image of God and are representations of him. We reflect him, as I said, in our spirit, in our minds, in our relationships. Not as much in our emotions, not at all in our bodies, right? And while we don't reflect him in, in, in our, our bodies and our emotions quite the same way, realize Christ died to restore us as whole people. He didn't just die to restore our spirits. Christ died to restore us as whole people. When we sinned, listen, here's the best way to say it. When we sinned, we broke. We broke, plain and simple. Our spirits broke, our minds broke, our relationships broke, our emotions broke, our bodies broke. And that's why we are all still headed for physical death should the Lord tarry. And there are many out in the world who are headed for spiritual death. And we are, as Eric said, all of us, we are affected. We are imperfect in our mental health, in our emotional health, in our relational health. But think about this. If God needed to restore us spiritually and mentally and relationally, he would have to judge the sin that affected those things, right? But what about the emotional and the physical corruption? I mean, physical death was part of the punishment for sin. How could a God that is spirit do that? How could a God that is impassable affect human emotions? How could God restore all of these things? How could he restore emotions he doesn't have? How could he pay for the sin if he doesn't have a body? He would have to find a way to judge someone for our sin who was perfect, yet was a whole human being. How could he do that himself? He couldn't. 
Unless to save us, God then created himself in our image. Unless he made a way to represent us, not just spiritually, not just mentally, not just relationally, but emotionally and physically. And so he did. God the Son came and took on a physical body. The God who is spirit came and took on a physical body. The God who is impassable took on emotions and took on suffering. See, if Christ was going to redeem the whole person, he had to come as a whole person. This is why he came as a whole person. And coming into a broken world, that means God the Son would have to take on a body that experienced pain and sadness and bad relationships, some of them really bad, and mourning and even physical death. He would have to step into human brokenness if we were going to be saved, and so he did. We were created as whole people. So God came and took on humanity, the whole person, so that he could again make us whole. And one day, because of Christ's work, we will be made perfectly whole. Revelation 21. John says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Because of Christ's work, God will restore our spiritual, emotional, mental, physical, and relational. He will restore what broke. We'll be sinless. He'll remove all of the emotional brokenness and wipe away our tears. He will reveal himself to us fully as he is, and we will know him. He will take away death that our bodies may be perfect, and he will be with us in perfect relationship fully and forever. And we will be made even more perfect than we were at creation. Why more perfect? Because the very possibility of sin won't exist anymore. Because Christ came and took on brokenness, God will one day make us literally unbreakable. Because God took on broken humanity for us, and that whole person died. So I ask you, in the meantime, between now and that day when we see him as he is, how can we ignore any one part of ourselves? How can we ignore any one part of each other after what Christ did to restore the whole person? knowing that he will one day restore the whole person. Brothers and sisters, as we embark on this series, realize all of us are broken. All of us are broken physically, emotionally, relationally, mentally, and spiritually. And if we want to be spiritually healthy as Christians and as a church, we need to consider the health of all five. And this series, even though I'm not a professional, this is not to make light of mental illness, it's not to glorify mental illness, like the world, you know, takes spiritual health lightly and glorifies spiritual brokenness. It's not to celebrate the effects of sin in any way. It is to turn our attention to very real issues that need to be addressed in very real ways. It is to understand the whole person that God loves, that he created in his likeness, in whose likeness he came, the whole person he died for, the whole person he wants to redeem fully from the effects of sin. So I want us, I want us to seek to be whole people 
who seek to be healthy in every aspect so we can love God as a church with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. On this, Christ said, depend all the law and the prophets. But more importantly, brothers and sisters, for this, Christ died. Let's thank him for that. Let's pray. Gracious God, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for creating us in your image, God. I thank you that even though we fell into sin, God, and broke your perfect creation and corrupted not just the world, but what we were, God, your perfect representations. God, I thank you that you sent your son as one of us. I thank you that he entered into brokenness. I thank you, God. I thank you that he died to restore us, to make us whole again. And God, I pray. I pray that we would take very seriously the whole person that Christ not only became, but died to save, God. So Lord, we submit ourselves to your word, God. We submit ourselves to how you say we were created. We submit ourselves to what you say sin has done to us. And we submit ourselves, Lord, to how you say we can be redeemed from our sin, from the fall, from all of his corruption, God. So Lord, we bow our hearts before you today. We praise you for who you are. We thank you, God, that you made a way to fix what we broke, to fix the whole person, God. So we, Lord, we honor you. We honor you with our spirit. We honor you with our minds. We honor you in our relationships. We honor you with our emotions. Lord, we honor you with our bodies, God. We submit all of these to a good and perfect God, a good and perfect God who saves. So we thank you, God. We praise you. We want to glorify you in all things. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen.